Hey everyone, and welcome to the OS Training Podcast. In this week's episode, I'm talking with Patrick Rowland. Now, Patrick has been heavily involved in WooCommerce for many years. He started building WooCommerce sites for customers and then was hired as a support ninja for the WooCommerce team. He rose to become a key developer on the WooCommerce project and then became the product manager, leading the direction of WooCommerce for a couple of years. He's now involved in the annual WooConf, which is a big conference aimed at WooCommerce developers. And he's just written a book with us all about WooCommerce called WooCommerce Explained. It's a beginner's guide to WooCommerce, taking you through all the different areas of WordPress and WooCommerce that you need to know about to launch an e-commerce store. So this week's episode talks a lot about WooCommerce, talks a lot about e-commerce and also about conferences. I hope you enjoy it. Hey, Patrick, welcome to the OS Training Podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. Hey, so we've been working on a, a book together, the WooCommerce book for several months now. And last time I spoke with you, you were up in the frozen wastes of Wisconsin. <laughs> um, it Basically, it's close to Canada as you can get in the US. Um, are you still there now? No, no, I was uh, I was there visiting family uh, for winter break for holiday, and and I was there for like two weeks, and it was negative temperatures, and now I'm back in sunny Denver, Colorado, and I was just I literally just about an hour ago came back from a run, so it's much more much more comfortable. Oh, so you live in um, you live in the outskirts of Denver, around the mountains, or? No, uh, so I live in downtown Denver. I walk just about everywhere. So if, if you know Denver, there's this area called the Art District and I kind of live there. Uh, and yeah, I walk, bike almost everywhere. I use the car probably like once a week and I it's expensive, but I love it. Oh, well, so you have a, a small little downtown apartment in the center of Denver where everything's accessible to you? Yes. Uh, so my what's funny is there's one of my favorite coffee shops is called uh, Rooster Cat. And on the way to Rooster Cat, I pass three other coffee shops and it's only 10 <laughs> minutes away. Like I literally, or sorry, I passed two other coffee shops. I literally walk by two others on the way to a coffee shop that's a 10 minute walk away. Yeah, it's, it's, it's nice being central. So you're in Denver and you're known for being a WooCommerce guy. You've helped with the, the big WooCommerce conference. You've written books, you've done videos, you have... Uh, been involved in almost every level of the WooCommerce organization. How does a guy in Denver end up working hmm. for for WooThemes and WooCommerce, which was a South African company? Good questions. It's linked to my journey into WordPress in general. So I was working at an agency, like an advertising agency, and we built a lot of websites for our clients, and some of them wanted e-commerce. So I asked around what was the best platform, heard about WooCommerce, and I started using it. And this was right before WooCommerce 2.0 and uh, started using it for some clients. I loved it. I started, this is when I was also getting into GitHub quite a bit. So I started customizing a lot of uh, a lot of WooThemes plugins to work for me and I sent them pull requests. And then like a month later or a couple months later, they, start, they posted a job position. I think it was for a support ninja. And uh, I basically just said, hey, I'm interested. Here's my pull request. You can see it. Like I've literally written some of the code that you ship to your customers. You know, I'm, I'm qualified. Uh, so I started as a support ninja, and then at one point they added me to the WooCommerce development team for about four to six months, I forget exactly. And then they opened up a product manager position for WooCommerce, and uh, they put me in there. So I was, uh, along with Mike Jolly, who who was sort of who focused on WooCommerce core, 
Um, I focused on a lot of the extensions around WooCommerce and like what we needed to put in each of them to make them sellable, to make to make the company profitable, basically. I feel like we're skipping over a lot of stuff there. You've oh. basically accelerated from being a, a support ninja <laughs> to being the product manager for WooCommerce in the space of 18 months or so. Yeah, something like that. Um, I, I, so here's the thing. I was a developer before I joined WooThemes. Uh, like that was always in my, I don't want to say in my blood, but that was like in my, that was my background. Um, and then when I joined the support team every single day, I took one ticket that was really hard and was out of our support, like out of our support policy. Like someone would be like, how do I customize WooCommerce subscriptions? So it does blank. And normally we just say, Hey, you know, we, we, you know, we make sure our plugins work, but we don't help you customize them. And for about a year I would. I got into every single plugin and started customizing them and posting learnings on my blog, uh, like in little code snippets as well. And then I think from there, it was pretty obvious that I could do development work. Uh, and I, my first plugin for them was actually WooCommerce Ninja Forms integration. And I did that while I was a support ninja and the code looked good enough. You know, I, it seemed like I had a pretty uh, intuitive understanding of everything. So I joined the development team. I don't think it was because I was the best developer that I got uh, into the product management role. I think I got into the product management role because I was the person who talked to customers the most. I think as a developer, and, and this is definitely a part of me, like whenever there's a new API, you're like, oh, I want to integrate with the Dropbox API. And, you know, because it's like new, it's shiny, you want to see what you can do. And like, maybe we can like, when someone buys something from WooCommerce, we can automatically link a file from Dropbox and send it out in the email that gets sent to the customer so they can download the file, you know, whatever. Um, and then as, but as the, as the product guy, you're like, but this thing could break, like, do customers need this? Or if it's an extension, how much do they pay? And like, I think those are the questions that really interested me. So I started looking into those and yeah, they moved me into that role. So you added a bit of a bit more disciplined perhaps than the average developer who's always thinking in terms of blue sky ideas of what they can do? Um, that's, uh, n oh boy, I, I don't think I would phrase it that way. I think what I would say is that for me, the underlying technology does not matter. Um, so like the underlying technology is a tool, a, it is a means to an end. So ultimately, what does the customer want and how can we provide it to them? So if a, so if a developer ever said to me, Hey Patrick, we can increase uh, the speed of WooCommerce uh, 200%. We can double the speed of WooCommerce uh, every single page load, but we have to rip out the entire uh, underlying code base. There we go, code base. We have to rip out the code base and replace it with this new framework. I would say cool. Like I'm not attached to the framework. I guess I'm I, I'm all about the results in terms of what gets presented to the customer. And if that, if we if we can make a better product, that's what I care about. So you were there during one of WooCommerce's fastest growth phases. Um, yeah. I, I'm not going to ask you if you were responsible for that or not, but what was it like to be at the helm to be the product manager of something that was going from <laughs> a small WordPress plugin to the biggest e-commerce platform on the web? Yeah, well, first of all, I wish I could take credit. I can't. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure I contributed, but I cannot take credit. But um, I... So here's the thing. When I joined WooThemes, we were about 30 people. I think we were like 33 or something like that. And then when I the uh, when the automatic uh, acquisition of WooThemes uh, happened, we were about, I think we were just under 60. So we just about doubled people in about two years since I was there. Yeah, the, the, the company was growing super fast. Um, and it's really exciting to grow really fast because you can 
I think because positions are opening up and there's all these like opportunities for growth and all these things that you can explore with and you have, you know, when your plugin's doing great or when your business is doing great, you can like invest in things. And, you know, we did all these great like personality tests to see like how we can communicate with each other. And I, I think it's just great to be in that positive environment where kind of like everyone's clapping each other on the back and we were doing, you know, we were doing great work and, um, we're doing great work. We were making customers happy. We were providing a valuable service. People being able to open their own online store is amazing. And then to sort of see the company profit. And like, you know, we took our once a year woo trip and like, that was amazing. The once a year woo trip was always so much fun. And you get to bond with your coworkers and you get to bond with them in a foreign country where you all meet up. And yeah, it was just great. I loved, I loved every bit of being in a growing company. Yeah. It's a rare experience. Most people mm. don't get to experience working for a hyper growth company yeah uh, most people work for companies that plot along yeah and you know keep a, a roof over their heads but don't experience that kind of growth and that kind of um uh, opportunity yeah yeah it's 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 valuable and um you know it's it's funny i have to say i i made some really good connections when i was there at WooThemes. like i'm still friends with the vast majority of the people that were at WooThemes at the time and uh yeah, I, lo I love meeting up with them. Like I, I saw a bunch of them at WooConf this year and, uh, you know, gave them good long hugs because they're, they're, they're just, they're good friends because we spent so much time together. And uh, and I and I think at previous companies, I don't, it didn't feel like we were friends. I don't know what, I don't know what was the difference there, but it didn't feel like we were friends. And if I saw them today at a bar, I'd give them a handshake, not a hug. You know what I mean? Would you put that down to the people running the company? Did they create a particularly good culture? Yeah, yeah. So I joined right as 80, uh, who was one of the original uh, three co-founders, was sort of leaving. So the, the two people in charge at the time are Mark and Magnus. And I think they did such a good job with the culture of the company. And like it was it was just a fun, like they were just two people who loved to have fun. And I, I think for them, like, hey, the company's making money. Let's have fun. Yeah. <laughs> and uh and they provide a lot of uh, they provide a lot of other stuff too. I don't want to say they were only they were only doing that, but but yeah, they were they were great. They were they they did make the place fun. Yeah. So, did you have any inclination when it was announced that WooCommerce was being sold to Automatic? Uh, were there other bidders? Was it kind of known the company was on the market? No, no, it was not known to anyone at at WooThemes that it was. Um, I shouldn't say to anyone, but it was only known to the leadership team which was sort of the Mark and Magnus and a few other people that it was going through. So yeah, it actually was a big surprise for everyone there. And um, I, I think one of the good things, so I, I think and I think surprises are bad, not bad. Surprises are uncertainty is scary for human beings, right? So whenever someone says something in your life is going to change, the, you know, people go, oh my God, the sky's falling, right? Um, I think it's like a human being's natural reaction. Uh, but one of the things that WooThemes and Automatic did that was great is they said, you know, hey, this acquisition's happening in the next month, I think it was. Um, you know, we're going to start working with you on salary and your new job and blah, 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 blah. But the thing they did great was they said, basically, nothing, nothing major is going to change in the next year. So basically, they they kept the company going as it was for all, you know, and they added people to teams, but they weren't, they weren't like restructuring the company or anything like that, which gave people security, which, which I think is uh, great when a surprise acquisition comes through. So what was it like to be swallowed up by Automatic as, uh, to become part of a much, much larger company? Did the fun continue? Did the <laughs> did the culture change at all? It seems inevitable to be that it might if you had such a larger company. 
Yeah, that's that's this is such a fascinating question for me. Um, so I do think the culture changed, uh, and 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 I can't you can't I, culture is such a complex thing. You can't say it's better or worse. Like those words don't apply. But I, one of the things I will say is, have you heard of Dunbar's number, Steve? It rings a bell, but um, so I couldn't tell you what it is. Dunbar's number is ba basically it says that you can know approximately one hundred people. Once you get past 100 people, you just can't possibly remember everyone's name. And because you can't remember them as a human being, as a, as a person, you basically can't treat them like a human. You sort of abstract and you, you this is when like stereotypes get created. So let me, let me give you an example. And, and oh, sorry, I should say the numbers. Yeah, I think the number is 100 people. So Wu Themes is about 50. So you could know every single person there and their life story and a little bit about them. Something that did happen is before the acquisition, I remember, you know, like, Hey, what happened to the blog post that was supposed to go live today that I helped, that I worked on? I, you know, I don't see it on the website. You know, you'd ask in your internal company Slack and uh, someone says, oh, you know, blah, blah, blah is out sick. And you're like, oh, cool. I know that person. And he did say he had a cough the other day. He's out sick. No problem. I like, I, you know, you understand people's extenuating circumstances. And then I remember at Automatic, and this is, I think this is just because there were so many people, people stopped referring to people as like, it wasn't that, you know, Bob and marketing is sick. It was, oh, the marketing department didn't publish it today because they're behind. And then it's just this sort of like nebulous marketing department and you, you stop, you know, and if that happens too many times, then you get grumpy at them. And instead of treating them as humans that who get sick or have other priorities, you just get upset. And I, for me, what, and I just want to, I, I want to emphasize automatic isn't doing anything wrong. I think once you get past a hundred people, at a company, you can't like you start you stop referring to people as people. It's not Bob and marketing. It is it's oh the marketing department and they're you know they're lazy, which is why their blog posts are always late. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, there are companies that deliberately decide to stay small to yes to avoid that scale problem. There are there are founders who sell their companies when they yes. get too big. Uh, yeah, there are people that are just completely allergic to having or working yep. in a company that is bigger. And I. I, it's funny, I after my experience uh, at Automatic, I think I want to, I actually really enjoy working for myself right now, but if I ever do work for another company, I think I want to work on a, either a company that's very small, like I want to say 20 to 30 people would be good for me, or I want to work on sort of like an insular team where you don't, sort of like a, like a maybe like an R&D department or something like that, where you sort of are, you're insular and you're in, internally facing, you're not like, in, you're not, in, you're not, um, working with the the huge 5,000 other people at the company, you're mostly working with your own company and you don't have to deal with the, all the stuff that happens when you can't possibly know people and you have to work with them anyways, all of those problems. So yeah. So what was it like to hand over your your baby to <laughs> to someone else that you've been the product manager of WooCommerce, you're gonna hand it over to someone else. Uh, you left the company after a certain time. What was that process like? And also for people that haven't been following, what has Automatic actually done with WooCommerce since they took it over? Hmm. Um, I think so what's so what's exciting is one of the things that was one of the things that was fantastic or or is fantastic about Automatic is they are very developer focused, which is fantastic. Because I, I think we doubled our development team in like a couple months. So yeah, a couple months after the acquisition, we basically had twice as many developers, which means we there was like a giant backlog of all these bugs that we would eventually get, or, or not bugs, but like tiny edge cases that we needed to fix, but it like only affected three customers. And we finally were sort of able to like go through those, that backlog, and that felt so good. I loved that. So one of the things that's interesting about Automatic is they, they focus on 
they have three main roles of the company, support, designers, and developers. And, and most of the people there are support or developers. There's not, they're not that many designers, but those are the three main roles. They don't really have product people. Um, they sort of have team leads who'd make a lot of product decisions. And let me give you an example. There was a, a time when we were partnering with MailChimp and I basically, I ran the numbers on like, hey, if we get this much from MailChimp, you know, if we set up some sort of revenue share with them, we make the extension free, but based on mail these this data from MailChimp, X percent of our customers would have this paid plan and we'd get, you know, X hundred a month or X thousand a month from them. And uh, it was really, really cool to run, like basically I found out using a statistical model that if we made our MailChimp extension free, we could actually make more money. And uh, I think, I, so I think product plays an important role. And yeah, I, I yeah, I, th I think it was hard to give it up. I think it was hard for me to give up that product role is what it is what I'm, I think I'm trying to say. So at least from the outside, reading the, the WooCommerce book with you and talking with mm -hmm. you uh, and dabbling in WooCommerce, perhaps not nearly as much as you, uh, I've noticed a, a big shift towards SaaS services that mm. increasingly automatic seem to be WooWordPress press.comifying yeah. a large portion of it. I mean, it's, these are some difficult problems like the taxes and the shipping yeah. that it's not easy for small businesses to solve. Um, am I right in thinking that if there's not a WooCommerce SaaS coming, that big portions of WooCommerce are becoming more SaaS-like? Interesting question. Yeah. So, and that, and I, I, uh, I realized I didn't fully answer your last question. I think the the biggest thing that Automatic's done with WooCommerce is they have added a lot of SaaS services. And if you, I mean, if so, if you go through the new onboarding wizard in WooCommerce, uh, it'll prompt you to install Jetpack and WooCommerce services. And included in services, the the main feature right now is uh, a, basically a free shipping extension, which, by the way, used to cost money. And you just sort of click a couple buttons, and it's automatically configured for you and it can help you print labels in the back end. And they're just coming out with the automated tax services as well. And I love those. Overall, I am 99% in support of them. I think my one concern going forward is I just want to make sure that WooCommerce is still built in a way that you don't need them. And I, I don't think that'll happen, right? The, the great thing about WooCommerce being open source is if, if, if they, they would never take out free shipping, but if they ever took out free shipping, someone could fork it. They could release their own WooCommerce free shipping extension or their own, you know, if they don't like the way WooCommerce writes a USPS plugin, then they can write their own USPS plugin. I, but for 99% of users, a free USPS plugin that is just sort of automatically installed when you create WooCommerce is incredible. And I hope they do more of that stuff. I just hope that there's always ways for you to customize it down the road. I, I think that's the one thing is that I want WooCommerce to hold on to its... And that's that's actually um, one of the things that you think about in product is like, what is our unique selling feature? And it's uh, WordPress is not easy to use compared to other platforms. Like it, it's easy to use, but not it is not the top of the list when it comes to easy to use. And so when it comes to you know your key selling proposition, WooCommerce is the most customizable e-commerce platform with the exception of maybe Magento, but I, I think I'd still put WooCommerce above it. So I, I just hope that WooCommerce holds on to that. That's like the, the best thing about WooCommerce is there's all these smart defaults and then you can always customize things later down the road when you need to. So you moved to Automatic and worked there for a while in the same role as you had working as the product manager and you left a couple of years ago. You're still heavily involved in WooCommerce now? Yes, still uh, still involved with them. Um, so the most recently I helped them out with WooConf, which, was, which is their annual 
conference. And last year was the first year that we decided to make it exclusively for developers and offer developer content instead of instead of focusing on developers and store owners, which are two very different audiences. So uh, that goes back to WooCommerce's key uh, selling proposition. But yeah, we, we focused on uh, developers for WooConf and I've also been helping them on their blog a little bit. So there's a lot of Woo, uh, like WooConf recap posts that are coming out and I'm sort of help, I'm helping them get the, push those through because I have a lot of, I have connections and personal relationships with a lot of the speakers there. Yeah, that's always an awkward split of audiences at a lot of these conferences. You mm. go to TrumpleCon, you go to Magento, imagine. They try and have material for the hardcore agency people, the developers who are working in the platform all day long, and also for the end user that mm -hmm. wanders in <laughs> and might decide to use the platform. Hey, 500 bucks to go to the conference for this platform. Maybe I'll go and suss it out. And yeah, it quite often ends up being an awkward yeah. mishmash of... <laughs> stuff for the hardcore people and stuff for the newbies who are just checking it out. So WooConf actually made a, almost an executive decision to to choose one of those audiences. Yeah, and, and I want to give props to Aviva Pinchas, who um, was the lead on WooConf. She chatted to a few people, including myself, and I think we, she, but she was the person who made that decision to focus on developers. I think it was a great decision because and, and by the way, WooConf, the subtitle for WooConf, when you're looking at the logo, is WooConf Annual Developers Conference or WooConf Developers Conference. I don't remember exactly what it says, but it says Developers Conference in there. And I think when you do that, um, then I think developers find more value. I know when I go to a WordCamp, I don't go to many sessions because they're like all over the place. There's, it's, there's just not enough focus on um, at a WordCamp. There's like, you don't know if it's at your level, above your level, below your level. Or you know, someone has a weird title and you don't know if it applies to your situation. So I just I just mostly talk to people. Whereas I think when you have a very specific topic, then people know it's for them, and I think that helps people buy more tickets. You were heavily involved in actually deciding what content was going to get on stage at the big WooCommerce WooConf yep. conference, right? Yep, yep. Uh, yeah, I helped plan the content last year. So going back to uh, the person who focuses on users, I was the person. I think I was the only person at WooThemes who went to general e-commerce conferences. Whereas a lot of other people went to WordPress conferences and developer conferences, but I was the only person who went to e-commerce conferences, which means when it comes to e-commerce best practices and conversion rate optimization and speeding up your site, I happen to know a lot of uh, those people and what were the, the, the most important things to talk about at our conference. So I think they wanted some help uh, planning content and... And uh, I mean, I, the, a lot of those people, a lot of the people that were at WooThemes are still working you know, in the WooCommerce department uh, at Automatic. So I loved, I, I think I took the job partly because I wanted to hang out with them. There's been quite a bit of talk recently in the tech world. I think maybe there was an Apple blogger that started the conversation hmm. by saying that conferences were a, a little old fashioned in this day and age when you can just watch YouTube videos or hmm. online conferences. And certainly in our business, we've gone from, a 100% in-person kind of mm. small conference business to 100% online in the space yeah. of five years or so. Our business has completely moved online. Um, is there a, a future for things like WooConf where you get three or 400 people to fly around the world? Oh God, yeah. And I think, um, you know, I was just trying to think of like a, an analogy. And I think the best example that I can come up uh, come up with off the top of my head is is that is like you have the world's you have the world's biggest video library for ten dollars a month through Netflix, 
but people still go to the movie theater. It's like this special experience. You go with friends, you get special food. There's this special experience about meeting people in person that I think people will always like. So even though Netflix is $10 a month and you can watch it from the comfort of your own home, you don't even have to wear pants, even though that, and that's, and that's great. And I watch, I watch way too much Netflix. Even though that's great, there is still always a space for in-person events. Uh, and I, and I know for me personally, while I love, and I, I think it's just going to be sort of like a balanced diet. So maybe you'll only go to one or two in-person events and you'll attend, you know, you'll attend one online summit and you'll attend maybe a half a dozen webinars in a year or something like that instead of five in-person events. I, so I think it's just going to be about each person finding their own balance. It's, it's definitely not dead. I, you know, it's interesting uh, when I, when, like when I write people emails, I don't think they get the full Patrick. They don't get the full me. But when I see them in person, like I'm a, I'm a big person. I like to give handshakes, I like to give hugs. I like to chat. I'm, I'm always asking people about things that they're excited about. Like I, I, I think I'm good at conversation and that just doesn't carry over an email or God forbid Twitter or Facebook or texting or whatever. So I, prefer making real connections at real events where they can get the full the full Patrick so I I, I don't think conferences are going I don't think conferences are going anywhere <laughs> hey, that's a great phrase he's gone full Patrick <laughs> he, I know what you mean though there's the physical conference is often the starting point for things mm. that then can continue later things that would probably never have got started via Twitter via Slack yeah um, absolutely it's it's the kickoff point for a lot of ideas that then continue online later. Totally. Um, but you're doing an online conference too, right? Mm -hmm. You did a, a big e-commerce webinar session last year, Liftoff Summit? Uh, yes, correct. So I did one last year. I think it was in June last year. And I was actually going to do it uh, a Liftoff Summit 2 or, you know, the 2018 version. I was going to do it probably in March, but then uh, Christmas got in the way and other things got in the way. And so I'm probably going to postpone it back to like June again. But uh, Liftoff Summit is, uh, it's an online marketing event. And uh, basically, if you're a first time store owner, who are the people that I really love to help, I love, I love, love the, the reason I love e-commerce is because I can help people build their own business. And then you aren't beholden to anyone. But if, so if I can help someone get traffic to their store, I mean, even if you have a not a great product, let's say you have a, a not, yeah, let's say you have a not a great product. You've like off brand Lego. I don't know. You'll still probably have 0.5% conversion rate. So if you get 200 people to your site, you'll still probably get a sale. And I'm not saying make a bad product, uh, but I'm saying I, I like pe helping people with traffic and marketing because once you get people to your site, the rest is easy or easier. I think traffic is one of the hardest things for new store owners. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm focusing on that for liftoff summits and, um, and, you know, speaking of in-person events, uh, one of the things I did not do well at last year's Liftoff Summit was it was mostly like, I think it was f about 40 hours of recorded content that I put up in a week and you could watch it whenever you wanted, but there's no way to interact. So whenever I do it this year, and I haven't decided exactly how I'm going to do it, I think I'm going to have a mix of recorded content and live content because then at least there's like a chat room and people can talk to each other and hopefully create connections and and that type of thing, because otherwise it just it's just sort of like a a year long podcast compressed into into a week. <laughs> yeah, we've done big events before around the release of some of our books, and people have loved the online opportunity to talk mm. and ask questions. I think we once tried a twenty four hour session for the launch of our Drupal book, mm. and people turned up to literally every single hour 
over the 24 hours and ask questions in every session. Wow. Yeah, people like that kind of human interaction, even in the webinars. So you help people You with their e-commerce websites. You've spent years developing super popular e-commerce platforms. But do you actually use any of them yourselves? Do you, do you yourself have an e-commerce store? Uh, so I sell some things. So um, I, I help sell, for example, uh, I, I sell, I have two books. This is the second book. Um, but I don't sell that myself. I sold Liftoff Summit tickets, uh, although that is an info product and that is one flavor of e-commerce, but it's not like storing inventory. And then I've also sold a lot of software over the years. So I've sold NinjaForm extensions and actually some WooCommerce extensions are extensions that I made, uh, that I created in my free time or as a side project before or whatever. So I've sold software, books, and sort of a info product, which is Liftoff Summit. And those are great and I love selling them and I love, and I've used, I've sold through, I guess, so selling WooCommerce software, I sold through WooCommerce and NinjaForm software, I sold that through EDD. But my goal this year in 2018 is, I, I understand all of the theoretical aspects of selling a physical product, like selling shirts or selling a, I'm looking at a microphone right now, so if you're selling microphones, like I understand all of the academic ways that you can do that, but I really, really, really want to sell my own physical product this year. Because I just think I think it's important to get in the head of a store owner and to really know what they're thinking and experiencing, so that I can make content, books, podcasts, lift off summit, whatever that resonates with them. So that that's kind of my big goal this year is I want to make a product that I can hopefully start selling next year. That's pretty much the the end of level boss kind <laughs> of difficulty level when it comes to e-commerce. Uh, is no when you're selling physical products, then you have the shipping, you have the taxes, mm -hmm. you have returns. the fulfillment, the returns. You have a hundred and one other things to think about that you never do when you're selling software or selling books. Yeah, and, well, so what's interesting is so selling software was lucrative but demanding, and by that, so it's interesting because every every type of product has its own positives and negatives. So software was lucrative, meaning people paid a lot. You know, they paid like. Uh, for NinjaForm extensions, it was like 30 or 40 bucks a pop. And for WooCommerce extensions, it was like 40 to 100 bucks a pop for a piece of software. And they bought it yearly, right? Um, so that was that made, made you a lot of money. But you had to be there all the time to fix any bugs. And I don't, like, that wasn't a, I didn't enjoy that aspect of, like, you know, if I'm gone on vacation for two days, I have to tell them ahead of time. So if there's a bug, they don't get mad at me that I don't fix it in two days. So it was, it was demanding. Now, books is interesting because you don't make quite as much money, but it's also not demanding at all. So that's uh, its own thing. And I think physical products are going to be sort of in between. I think they're going to make more money than books, but they are going to be somewhat demanding with, uh, as you said, you know, fulfillment, shipping, taxes, and returns. Uh, and uh, although at least the good thing there is, I, uh, you know, I can always outsource parts of that. So I, I, I think we, we talked about this ahead of time, but I, I think I want to make a board game. And specifically, I want to make a card game. And card games are so tiny and that, uh, that if I ever used a third-party fulfillment provider, you basically pay for storage by the pallet. So a pallet of card games is, I don't know, like 10,000. So I, you know, I can basically ship my inventory of 10,000 games to the shipping provider and they'll handle shipping. And so it'd be easy for me to outsource some of that or, or whatever I wanted. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So are you thinking through that you would need to go to, to a manufacturer, perhaps go to 
find someone with a, a connection in China to to print up out pallets of your game and ship them over here. Yeah, yes, I want to I want to go through all of that. Now there is a small chance that my game will get picked up by a board game publisher, just like a book will get picked up by a book publisher. And then at which point, you know, they have their own manufacturers already lined up. But what I think I want to do is I think I want to so right now I'm still going through the product development process. In this case that means I'm, I have a prototype of my game. I'm going to board game conventions. I'm play testing with people. I'm listening to their feedback. I'm improving the game, blah, 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 blah. So I'm doing all the product development right now. And if no one picks it up in a year, I think I'm going to self-publish my own game. And there are, so there's prototyping services here in the US that are awesome and they're, they're good, but they're just expensive and you wouldn't want to mass produce them here. And there are, I already know of several manufacturers in China that just do board game manufacturing. So they're like, that's all they do is board game manufacturing and they have very competitive prices. And yeah, you order by, you know, the pallet or, you know, if you run a really successful Kickstarter, you might order an entire shipping container of games, do all the filament yourself or use a, you know, do whatever. But yeah, I, 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 I do want to go through that. I was talking with someone the other day who talked about, they were a clothing, they sold clothes online. And they talked about like how stressful it was the first year with their manufacturer. But now, now that they finally found a good one, anytime they want to create a new product, they just send an email with a couple sketches. And in 24 hours, this manufacturer is so good, they have like a mock-up of the, the product and they, they, they say, is this good? He says, yes, they make it. And in two weeks, he gets the prototype of the new product, which is incredible. So I, I think it's a painful process to find a manufacturer and go through this whole product development life cycle. But... And I think once you, you've gone through it, then you, you know the pain and then you can <laughs> stick with your good manufacturer, I guess. So we originally planned this podcast to talk about the WooCommerce Explained book, mm. but let's pitch the board game you're releasing as well. Could anyone sit down at a WordPress event if they find you and say, hey, Patrick, uh, can I do a beta test of your card game? Oh my God, yes. Uh, so I So I have two right now. Uh, so one is Fry Thief, and it's a two-player game, and it's very fast, very easy. The rounds are probably five minutes once you get to know the game, and whoever wins three rounds wins. Very fast, very easy, and ba basically, it's 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 this experience that like everyone's had, where you sit down at a restaurant, one person wants to be healthy, and they order a salad, and the other person is they're not trying to be healthy. They order the burger and fries. And then you know the salad person is going to steal your fries. And so you're trying to like block them. <laughs> and the salad person's trying to steal as many fries as they can. So yeah, I made a game out of it. And you steal fries and the other person tries to sort of swat you away. And it's, uh, it's, it's pretty fun. I would, I would love for uh, anyone who, yes, anyone who hears this, uh, I actually literally, it's, it's a small card game. It's, I think it's 16 cards and a couple tokens. Come up, talk to me. And uh, it's almost done being, uh, the rules are done. And I just need, I'm getting the graphic design done so yeah next time at a word camp or any conference hit me up and we'll, we'll play i also have a four-player game i'm working on but i won't i won't bore you with it because it's not done yet but uh yeah i'm working on a couple things it's fun yeah we think that uh wordpress or php developers are geeky but hmm. board game geeks oh man i've i've met a few <laughs> of them actually i guess at at developer conferences and the stuff they can come up with in terms of the depth mm. of their obsession with board games and uh, obscure German, obscure yes. Romanian yes. board games. Um, are you like that? Uh, no, I'm not. So there's, uh, it's uh, it's so funny how you go into like a world and you're like, oh, people who play board games. They're like, what do you do? You play Monopoly? And you're like, no, it is way, you know, it's way bigger than that. So, oh man, I, I could, we could talk for an hour about like different types of games, but suffice it to say, 
Uh, there are long, like, resource-gathering games, which are usually called Euro-style games, and I don't always like those. I'll play them, but probably once every two to three months. So if you were into, like, resource-gathering, the best game to play is Terraforming Mars. The new hotness is Terraforming Mars. And it's really cool. There's some actual science in the game of like you're like trying to raise the temperature and you're trying to add oceans and you're trying to add trees to Mars. And it's it's really cool. The cards you play do that. It's it's but it's like a two hour game, and the rules are pretty complex. I tend to be a little bit lighter on. I like games that last an hour or less. I'd say, and they're usually a little bit more cooperative. Uh, yeah, it, it, I I don't want to go into it because this isn't a board game podcast. But yeah, I think I think I like shorter games that are an hour or less. So do you have a, a launch plan of sorts? Would you put this on Kickstarter? Uh, yeah. So, if, okay. So good question. So I, as, I, as I mentioned before, so here's the thing is what's cool about the board game world is there used to be publishers and they used to be the only, the only way for you to get a board game to the market. And then with the internet and specifically Kickstarter, that was when people finally started really, really getting into self-publishing games. So if I do not find a publisher in the next year, I will kickstart my game. Uh, and it may not now it may not succeed, but I'm going to at least try to kickstart it. And I'm actually really excited about that because I kind of view all of life as an experiment. So worst case scenario, I know what not to do in a Kickstarter campaign if it doesn't work out. But I, I actually I'm really curious to learn how to do it and hopefully do it right. And yeah, I, I, so if I don't find a publisher in a year for my for Fry Thief, I'm going to uh, kickstart it. So okay, so final question, yeah. and you almost certainly knew this question was coming. If you come to sell Fry Thief. Are you going to put it on WooCommerce? It's <laughs> uh, uh, a good question. So I, I always put it on the e-commerce platform that I'm trying to learn most about. So if WooCommerce has new features, I'm probably going to put it on WooCommerce, maybe for just a year. But then if Shopify has some new features that I really want to learn about, I'm going to put it on Shopify. Uh, it's it's not that one's better than the other. It's that uh, I just I, I want to know everything about e-commerce. And so I'm always switching platforms last year. I did a liftoff summit on um, ah, on Gumroad, uh, which is an e-commerce platform, but it was a little bit too simplistic. And I learned that like it's probably good for eBooks, but not for online summits. So next year, I'm probably going to try EDD um, or maybe WooCommerce with memberships. Uh, but yeah, I, I just do whatever, which, whichever one I want to learn more about. So we'll see. Oh, cool. So EDD, for people who may not know, is uh, mm. Easy Digital Downloads. Mm -hmm. We had Pippin, the developer of EDD, on the podcast last week. Mm. So... Where can people keep up with you, whether it's to hear about Fry Thief or WooCommerce or WooConf? So uh, I guess, uh, boy, so many places. Uh, let's say for the, the best place is probably Twitter. Uh, just hit me up. I'm at BF Trick as in, but B-F-T-R-I-C-K uh, uh, on Twitter. Uh, I'll put a link in the Thank show notes. Thank you. <laughs> or uh, so my, I do have a, a blog with like 200 WooCommerce articles, I think it is. Or maybe it's just 100. Uh, but uh, there's a lot, at least 100 WooCommerce articles. It's called speakinginbytes.com, and that's B-Y-T-E-S.com. Uh, so if you want to learn more about WooCommerce, go there. There's also liftoffsummit.com, uh, which is liftoffsummit. Uh, and then if you want to get nerdy with me, Instagram is where I, I basically don't post any work links, and I post, I paint miniatures, like Warhammer miniatures, and probably we'll start putting some board game stuff up on there. So if you want to just follow me for the fun stuff, go on Instagram, and I think I'm at BF Trick there as well. So Wonderful. Thank you so much, Patrick. Thank you for having me. 